That, that was like a semi whoop. But we'll go for that. Ivy, God is good. Right. <laughs> yeah, Lord, I just want to lift Dave up to you right now. Lord, thank you that his heart is your heart. That, Lord, that he knows you and that you know him. So, Lord, I pray from what Dave is about to pour out, that, Lord, those words would not be his words, but your words, and that each one of us would be open to hearing those words, and that they would come like a refreshing spring to us. So, Lord, pour out your spirit on him right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Well, God, God is good takes me back a little bit to uh, when I first became a Christian. And uh, I remember being at Russ and Maggie's uh, Connect group, or life group, we used to call it back then. And there was this uh, crazy song called God is Good all the time. And um, I'd, I'd never been to a, a Connect group or a life group before. And this was my first experience. And... Uh, we, you had the four W's. Do you remember the four W's? It was kind of welcome, worship, word, and witness. And uh, the welcome, uh, we had the welcome section, a bit of an icebreaker, and then it was straight into worship. And they, uh, we had a tape player. Don't think we were CDs had been invented then, uh, quite. Uh, tape player in the corner, and uh, their lounge was packed full of people. And this "God Is Good" song came on, and there was lots of people sort of whooping and hoe down in in their lounge and I suddenly thought what on earth have I got myself into <laughs> but I stuck with it and I realized that these people were passionate for God they were passionate for Jesus and it was genuine it wasn't fake it wasn't something that was made up they genuinely loved Jesus and I'm glad that I did stick with it and I wasn't put off by the God is God song <laughs> okay so if you've, if you've been with us throughout the year, or if, you, if you're new, we did a series earlier in the year called Doubters to Shouters. And the idea of Doubters to Shouters was to, um, to be, encourage us to get a little bit more vocal, a little bit more expressive, a little bit louder <coughs> in our devotion to Christ. I've lost my voice a little bit this morning because I was singing so hard. And um, we're almost going to do the reverse of doubters to shouters. Uh, we're going to do something over the next few weeks where our, atten our attention is going to be on the secret place, the place of intimate communion with God, the place of silence and solitude, the place of refreshment and strengthening, the place perhaps some of us are fearful of going to. Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 6, he said this about prayer, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. I'm going to read that again, it's so good isn't it? But when you pray, and he's, he's contrasting this with people that would stand on street corners and pray in loud voices for everybody to hear, to be seen. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you 
and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. There's something about the secret place of prayer. And the secret place we're going to travel to this morning is the desert. Have you got your bags packed? We're going to turn to Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read a very, very tiny passage of Scripture. I'm going to use that just to uh, focus our attention, really, uh, as we uh, look at this place uh, called the secret place. It's Mark chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start at verse 9. And in your Bible, um, my NIV Bible, it says that it's entitled, The Baptism and Testing of Jesus. Now, the baptism and testing of Jesus is a whole nother, probably two sermon series in themselves. But I want to focus in uh, this morning on that, that secret place. Verse 9, Mark chapter 1. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That's a river, if you didn't know. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Just had a a reminder of the week of that. uh, I don't know if you saw that news story where that uh, guy was uh, let off a speeding ticket because of the Holy Spirit. Did you see that one? Uh, This isn't a joke, but this is a true story. Uh, in Germany, uh, a driver was speeding, and as he was captured on a speed camera, a dove came down and almost hovered at the place of his face so he could not be identified. And the police said, this is divine intervention. The Holy Spirit came down and saved this guy from a speeding ticket. That's useless information, nothing to do with my series, but I just thought I'd share that with you, just reminded by it. But yeah, this is uh, Jesus' baptism. Some amazing things happen. Yes, he's baptised by John in the Jordan, even though he didn't need to be baptised, really. He didn't need a baptism of cleansing. He was already without sin. Um, And then we have this sort of dove descending, sign of the Holy Spirit, and we have this voice coming from heaven, uh, confirming uh, who Jesus is. In Matthew 3, we're given a, a you know, Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke all give us an account of this, these, this same event of the baptism of Jesus and Jesus being led into the desert to be tempted. And in Matthew 3, we're given a rough guide to the short life and even shorter ministry of John the Baptist. His whole life is dominated by the desert, the wilderness. You know, Bear Grylls has got nothing on John the Baptist. John the Baptist lives and breathes in the desert. And uh, I've been reading a bit about John lately, just looking at his life and just asking that question. I I want, you know, in some scriptures it says that people went out to the desert to hear John the Baptist preach. I I just got my mind thinking, you know, why, why would people go out into the 
desert, you know, a deserted place to hear somebody preach. John is a holy man, a prophet, and you wouldn't say that he's a man of the cloth, but a man, a man who likes to dress in camel. And he's got a diet to go with it. If you didn't know, he eats honey and locusts. You know, not, not the kind of diet that I'd perhaps want to eat. And John's there when he hears this voice comes from heaven, uh, who, where Jesus is commissioned by the Father, saying, you know, this is my son whom I love, I am well pleased with. John hears that. And then straight off we're told this. We're told straight away that Jesus is led, and in some versions it says led, some versions it says sent into the desert, into the desert place. In the Greek, this word is the eremos, and the eremos means desert, wilderness, solitary place, the lonely place, the place of testing. So it doesn't just mean desert, it means a whole host of things, but you get the picture that it's not a nice, comfortable, uh, five-star experience. It is a rough place to be. And it says that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. We see that Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully human. He experiences hunger. Now, I want you to hear me right this morning that, because you know, Jesus has set the bar very high when it comes to silence and solitude and surviving harsh testing. You know, the bar is right up there, isn't it? You know, 40 days of uh, being in that place, being in a tough place. So I'm, I'm not expecting anyone here today to try and emulate that and to I'm not expecting anybody to go from here today and go right okay I think I'll do 40 days in the desert without eating or drinking and uh, I'm not expecting that. that that's not my expectation this morning what what my expectation is is that um, somehow yeah somebody's saying thank goodness for that um, my expectation is that we can learn and apply something from what Jesus models for us in this secret place. Besides, there's not many deserts in Peterborough. You know, we live in a modern day, urban 21st century life and um, silence and solitude is something that perhaps is quite difficult for us to even comprehend, even think about when life is so noisy and busy. So let's just think a little bit about that, those 40 days for Jesus in, the, in that harsh environment where he doesn't eat anything. Or he doesn't drink. You know, it's baking hot for a start, isn't it? Desert, you picture desert places as somewhere very hot where it's easily going to get sun scorched, where there's probably limited shade and shelter during the day. And in stark contrast at night, the temperature drops to probably freezing cold. There is no bed. There is no duvet to snuggle up in. There's little protection from wolves and snakes, bears and scorpions. It's, this is a rough place. It says, doesn't it, he was 
with the wild animals. I mean, I've listed just a few there, but I wonder what else uh, you're going to kind of come up against in the desert. There's no food, no water, there's no internet. <gasps> there's no connection in the desert. There's no phone, there's no smartphone. There's no transport, there's no shower. There is no home comforts whatsoever. So why is Jesus led here? Why is he led here to be tested? Because the Eremos is the place of testing. In the desert, for Jesus, everything is stripped away. Everything. There is nothing to rely on. There's no contact with people and there's nothing that could feed his belly or his ego. It is just him alone with God. It's a place of humility. It's a place where you learn trust and begin to rely on the Father. None of us are likely ever to be tested in that way. See, Jesus could have begun his ministry, couldn't he, straight after his baptism. He could have just, you know, come up out of the water and, and just got dry, toweled himself down and then gone on to choose his disciples. Could have done, couldn't he? You, know? you think, wow, you know, that's what a great place to start. Dunked in the water. Yeah, hallelujah, praise God. Straight on to ministry. No, from there, it's straight into the desert to be tested. You know, for us spending 40 days and nights alone in the desert with no food or drink sounds like the worst plan ever when you're about to launch something. You know, imagine launching a new business. You'd want to go out and get, make contacts and uh, work out the marketplace and make sure you've got reserves and you've got crew and you've got staff and you've got policies and procedures. In you'd want to do all that, wouldn't you, before you start a ministry? Not Jesus. It sounds like the worst plan ever to launch a new business or a project or even a church. You'd think that you'd return after that time weak, thin, tired and in need of nourishment and recovery. But for Jesus, the separation from home comforts and human contact is for his strengthening. Without anything to nourish him from the outside, he grows on the inside because of the food he receives from heaven. When we were praying this morning before the service, I was, uh, Ken asked us to just sort of listen to God and just to tune in and just you know, see what God's saying. And I was just drawn to the, the cafeteria area where it says leaf and loaf. Uh, and it just the leaf reminded me of being connected to the vine, you know, drawing our strength from God and the fact that, you know, anything that doesn't bear fruit is cut off and you know, God wants us to make, to make us more fruitful. And then I turned to the loaf where it just says <coughs> on, on the top there, you know, the, the fact that we need the food from heaven, don't we? We need the fresh bread from heaven to feed our souls. And I just, just sense that this is, this is what's happening to Jesus in the desert. He is reliant fully on God. There is nothing else that he can draw from in the desert place. Nothing. Only from his father. 
You know, no wonder Jesus can say to the devil when he comes to tempt him, uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words that come from the mouth of God. You know, the devil had tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread. I remember Russ saying years ago, that was a real temptation. Jesus could have actually done it. He could have turned those stones into bread, you know, warm, hot, fresh bread. You know, imagine being hungry and the smell of a bakery wafting up your nose because you, 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 you can see and sense and smell fresh bread. Jesus was tempted to do that, but he resisted it because he knew that the fresh bread from heaven was far more nourishing to his soul than just the passing, uh, the fleeting glance or taste of some bread. I've been reading up a little bit about uh, people who uh, in the past used the desert as their place to retreat to, their secret place. There are, uh, there are plenty of stories of so-called desert fathers and mothers who retreated to this barren place for prayer and fasting. It was a place to escape, a place where they could get closer to God and be strengthened. They'd spend days and weeks in the wilderness preparing themselves for what God had in store for them. And this is what Jesus was doing. These 40 days spent in the wilderness was to prepare him for what was to come. This ministry which was endless, never-ending, constant. You imagine the pressure that Jesus was under. He was always got crowds at him. Uh, it's always people demanding stuff from him. The constant pressure to, to live according to the law to be without sin, to not give in to temptation, to give out of himself constantly. Jesus needed this time of preparation to prepare him for what was to come. And then finally, you know, the trial and cross, you know, that's way further on, but just starting his ministry through being alone with God. And this is hard for us to relate to because we live in an age which has constant communication and contact with people. Even if you live alone, you know, you're not far from a TV remote where you can switch, tune in to what's going on in the world. You're not far from the fridge where you can nourish your soul, uh, your, your stomach. We live, we live in an age where we're constantly connected. You know, we can surf the internet, we can scroll our phone. We're constantly bombarded with noise, with images, with information, with other people's opinions of how the world works and what you should do and what you shouldn't do and how you should think and what you should sign up to. And all of these things, they rob us of the ability to be present. They rob us of our time, if you like, of tuning into God and with one another. We're never far away from getting any of our physical or emotional needs met by anything other than God himself. There are so many things vying for our attention all of the time. And those things shape us. Those things have an effect on us. And so how do we recenter ourselves on God's ways? Well, we, you know, just look at Jesus' example. And it's partly through silence and solitude. I'm not saying that's the only thing, but that is 
probably one of the most important things for any Christian is to have silence and solitude. It's actually a human need, not just for a Christian. It is for silence and solitude, escaping to a secret place where you can be alone. I'm not saying lonely, but alone, just you and God, a place where we can be alone with God without distraction. That's not easy. It takes discipline. I was reading about a former bishop of Coventry who uh, he, he went away on a led retreat to a hermitage. And uh, part of the retreat, he was there for a week. And uh, the first day, his uh, uh, spiritual uh, guide, if you like, uh, companion, uh, set him the goal of... Uh, getting up in the morning and just having two hours of silence. Uh, you're not talking to anybody in his room, just being still, being silent and uh, just being prayerful before God. And he, he came back frustrated two hours later and said, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't switch off from all the stuff that I'm carrying all the thoughts, all the worries, all the concerns, all the stuff I've got to deal with, all the stuff I've left behind, all the stuff I'm going to when I, when I leave this place. So he went back to his spiritual counsellor and, and the spiritual counsellor said, that's fine. It was kind of what we expect on day one is that you, you struggle to enter into silence. Not just physical silence, but the silence of the, the inner soul, if you like. And he said, well, well, let's double it to four hours uh, for the next day. And, and, you know, what he found was he struggled with that. Struggled with that. So four hours compared to 40 days didn't seem too difficult. Didn't seem that difficult. It seems achievable, doesn't it, to spend four hours just being silent before God. But he really really struggle and I've experienced that too you know I used to I used to go to a, a retreat place for a whole day and uh, I'd spend the first three hours asleep that as soon as I arrived I'd kick off my shoes I'd get into bed and just have a kip for three hours and then I could get up and be still and begin to read and to to, to hear from God it's so difficult uh, Richard Foster, of uh, the author of Spiritual Discipline, says this, prayer is listening to the still, small voice of God, listening with the ear of our hearts. And that's what happens in the secret place, when we can be still, when we can be silent, when we can be alone. Where, when and how do you enter the secret place? Do you have any alone time? with God where you can be still where you can be silent where the phone is off where the TV's off I spent half an hour this morning in the garden in an easy chair just being still and, and the only sound I could hear were the birds and the traffic going by that you know and that that was distracting if you like because I'm starting to identify what the birds are and oh what's that car going by really hard just to be still and silent and then Esther started tapping on the window from her bedroom really difficult but so needed 
Jeff last week made reference to Brother Lawrence, who uh, wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he was a man who experienced God in the everyday, ordinary things of life, in the daily tasks, in the cooking, in the cleaning, in the gardening. And that's great. I love that. And we do need to do that. But what about stopping? What about being still? What about being alone? Being somewhere quiet where you can be silent before God. How does that, you know, just thinking about that, how does that make you feel? I think some of us perhaps begin to feel fearful of that or maybe guilty that we're not doing stuff. But I've got stuff to do. I've got, got people to see. I've got appointments to, to, to attend. I've got things to organise. I've got TV programmes to watch. I've got gaming to do. But to sit and do nothing is a practice that's, it's a Christian practice and yet it's, it's being robbed from us. What about just spending 10 minutes still and quiet? What about half an hour? What about an hour? Well, we'll get a chance this week. If you look, you can book a slot uh, at the Way Church this week to have an hour in a room on your own where it's just you and God. I challenge you to sign up for an hour. What about a day? Or perhaps a week. There's a lady come to our badminton club. She went on a week retreat up in um, uh, up north somewhere, and uh, she found it really hard those first few days. But after the, she'd got through those uh, first two or three days, she sort of entered into this place where she could just hear, without distraction, what God wanted to say to her, what He had uh, planned for her. And she came away really full of God, full of joy, full of refreshment. Some of us might think, well, a week, I'd go stir crazy. I'd go bananas. You know, my time going to the hermitage just for a day, to sleep, to pray, to read, to hear, to sleep, to pray, to hear, to read, showed me my need for solitude and for time away from everybody else. It's the place where God refreshes you, energises you, and actually recommissions you for what you're going to do. He, he gives you vision. He speaks into you as a, an individual, but also for me as a leader. Uh, God was able to speak to me. I was, I was available so that I could hear him. Do you have intentional time to be quiet? and alone. It is difficult, I know. Just you and God. Might sound a bit boring to some people, but actually what you get from it far outweighs all the activity that you would have been doing uh, to compensate. So what are the warning signs of not enough silence and solitude? I've got five here. There's probably, we could add more to it. The warning signs of not enough silence and solitude. Well, first off, we become distant from God. We're in a relationship. When you come to Christ, you are a new creation. And that relationship needs investment. 
God is always available. He's always willing to speak, always willing to listen. But it takes two to tango, doesn't it? It's a two-way relationship. And if we don't invest our part of the relationship, we become distant. We, we, we don't hear, we don't, we don't pick up what God is wanting to say to us. We actually can become forgetful that he exists. We might be Christian by name, but not be living the Christian life. We get, number two, we get sucked into the urgent stuff. It becomes a rat race of trying to please people, doing stuff getting that instant gratification through achievement, by finishing something, by doing something, we get sucked into the urgent because actually we've forgotten what we're supposed to be doing. And, I, and I'm guilty of that. I, I hold my hands up. I get sucked into the urgent stuff. And sometimes you, you do have to respond to the urgent stuff. But you know, Jesus never got... He never got distracted. Yes, he dealt with the distractions, the interruptions, but his mission was clear where he was headed. Number three, we get distracted. We get distracted by all sorts of stuff. We forget what, what we're supposed to be doing. Number four, we turn to escape activities. We replace our time with God with something else that actually doesn't uplift us. It doesn't bring us the fulfilment that we need. And those escape activities can be all sorts. You know, how many, how many of us have wasted hours scrolling through social media? How many of us have wasted hours gaming or doing other things? You know, even sports, even great that they are, they can be an escape activity that stop us meeting with God. Yes, we can still meet with God in those things, can't we? But I'm talking at a different level here, talking at a, a time where you, he has got your absolute full attention, not just for 20 seconds, but for an expanded period of time. And fifthly, we become reactionary. It becomes about our, our rights and our needs and what we want rather than what God wants. We get we get uptight. We get annoyed. We get angry. We get fiery really quickly if we haven't had that time to retreat and to recharge. So these forty days in the desert for Jesus are key to beginning his ministry. It says in Luke four fourteen. It says after Jesus finished these 40 days of testing, it says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was led into the desert by the Spirit. But when he returned, he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something happened in that desert place that fueled him for his mission. He is, I, I kind of picture it of him being full to overflowing with love, compassion and power that helps him to be very focused on his mission. And this is evidenced in his teaching, the choosing, choosing of his followers, the miracles and the power to heal the sick. Jesus just oozing God wherever he goes 
because of the time that he's had alone with the Father. Jesus doesn't go to a Bible camp or a Christian festival, good as they are. He gets to get his fix. He goes to the lonely place. The lonely place, the place of testing. Luke 5.15 says that Jesus withdrew often to lonely places and prayed. So that 40 days in the desert just wasn't the one-off, that's it, done. Jesus modelled a lifestyle of continually retreating to quiet and lonely places where he could be in fellowship with, with God without distraction, without people barking their needs at him. Ooh, come in. Um, without anybody trying to get a piece of him. Psalm 91 verse 1 says this, he that, this is a King James version, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's something about dwelling in the presence of God, the secret place. And actually in Psalm 91 in this version says, he dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. You know, there is no physical location well, there might be. There's no physical location that has a door that's labelled the secret place that you can walk into, is there? It's up to us to find the one that works for us. So whether it's a walk down a, a country lane or through the forest, or whether it's just alone in the garden, or whether it's actually booking into a, a hotel room where there's a bed where you can just be with God, make sure there's not a TV Whatever that looks like for you, maybe it's, you know, just being in, your fate, in, a, in a garden somewhere, just being alone with God where there's no one else to distract you, nothing to distract you. Richard Foster, the, the, the author of the uh, uh, Spiritual Disciplines book, says this, loneliness is inner emptiness, solitude is inner fulfilment. There's something about being alone. It's that balance, isn't it, of activity versus intimacy with God. Psalm 84 says this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Or I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking, we're going to be really thinking about how we can enter in to that secret place where we can find refreshment where we can be energized where we can be you know have a sort of vision or a focus sharpened up by what god wants to do for us so just as i come to a close i want you to think just close your eyes i just want you to think prayerfully about your secret place Perhaps you have one and you go to it regularly. That's great. I'd encourage you to keep doing that. Perhaps you once had one and uh, you enjoyed great times of fellowship with God when you used to retreat to that place. Or perhaps you haven't found one yet and you just, you just, need, to, you just need to discover some, what works for you, whether it's going for a walk or taking a ride on a bus or whatever it is where you can just be still with God. So let's just think about that.
let's prayerfully consider our week and what we've got booked in and what we are giving priority to. When in your week could you escape to somewhere to be alone? Where would it be? And how long could you spend there? Just as you imagine yourself perhaps in that place, I want, you to, I want you to think about what you would be leaving behind just for that time. Perhaps you'd be leaving behind uh, other people, well, you would be leaving behind other people, but maybe you'd have to give up something enjoyable. <laughs> maybe you'd have to give up uh, thinking about other things tasks people agendas jobs to be done just picture yourself being still whether you're laid down or you're, you're sitting in a chair and just being close to God picture your your kind of heart rate just coming down your stress levels dropping the anxiety just being still those anxious thoughts just melting away and I just sense the joy of the father as you have that intimate time with God where he's able to say, you are mine. You are my son, you are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. Where he can lavish his love on you. Where he can give you encouragement. Where he can give you what you need for right now. I like that word from Andy this morning. He said this, God has given you the resources. God has given you the resources. And I would say to that is, is not to waste the resource that God has given you. And that resource is, includes a place to escape to, to be still, to be quiet, to be alone. That is a resource that will keep on resourcing you. So it doesn't lead to burnout. And the encouragement from Andy again, stand up, do it. I am in you through my spirit. God has given you the resources to do this. I'll finish on this. If, you've, um, if you're a person that's had too much silence and solitude, 
if you've had too much time alone with God, then go and do something. Go and do something rather than just staying in that silent and solitude place. You know, Jesus was only there for 40 days and then he went and did something. So if that's you this morning, if, you, if you've got nothing to do other than be alone with God, then you're in a great place, but it's possibly time for you to get up and go and do something uh, with the time that you've got. So Father, I want to thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that it encourages us. Thank you that it challenges us. And we see in the life of Jesus so many elements of a godly life. And uh, Lord, we, uh, me included, repent of when, we haven't, when I haven't given priority to spending time alone with you. And I pray that you would encourage us and help us to see the benefits of the, and the need for doing that. And I pray that out of that, we would all be refreshed, uh, strengthened, encouraged, built up, ready to do what you've called us to do. Wherever that may be, whatever that uh, entails, help us, Lord, to be centred in you. Help us to find a secret place where we can be alone with you. Lord, that is so important. Help us not to neglect that. Help us to be, uh, to be influenced by what Jesus did, Lord. Not to go out and do exactly the same, but to find ways to escape to a quiet, secret place. In Jesus' name, amen.